1: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world, by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is the executive director of One Virginia 2021. Now, we're going to talk all about what that is with Brian Cannon, the executive director. But I'm going to start out with saying, you know, redistricting, if you don't know what that is, pay close attention because it matters and we're getting jerry rigged, to borrow a phrase. Okay, Brian Cannon, how are you today?
0: Marcello, I'm great. Thank you for having me on.
1: My pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed very much meeting you uh, a week or so ago in Richmond at the gubernatorial uh, forum and, and that that has led to this radio conversation. So let's get right to it. First of all, tell us a bit about you. I know you're an attorney and how you got involved uh, with One Virginia 2021. Well, I'm I'm fortunate. Uh... to to have gotten
0: the the ask to to lead this organization, which is really just the organization that helped shepherd this movement in Virginia. I mean, the movement is all across the country to unrig these maps and to have uh, fairly drawn districts that aren't drawn for any incumbent politicians. So I'm lucky to do it. I've studied election law in law school. It wasn't when I went out to practice. I was actually working with startups and high-growth companies before jumping into this. Mm. Uh, But this is the one issue in politics that... It's not the one I care about the most, but it's the one we have to care about first to have the conversations about the other ones we care about the
1: most. Exactly. And I guess we should explain and not assume that everybody knows uh, how redistricting and gerrymandering and the census are connected. Connect a few of the dots for us so we're clear on that.
0: Everybody lives in a congressional district in in our country, and we have 11 in Virginia. And then we also have uh, the General Assembly, which represents us as our state government. And there are 40 state senators, so we all live in one of 40 uh, state senate districts. And there are 100 uh, House of Delegates members, and those uh, there. So we all live in one of 100 of those. So. But they all
2: look really strange. Mm. Um, you
0: could say, you know, you could ask a hundred questions as to why, and it would take you a lot of time to figure it out if you didn't just jump right into. It's drawn to benefit one party or politician uh, to keep them reelected, or to make sure that it was tough for the other guy to get elected. So that's the kind of basis of this. But. All of the the opportunity to do this, the opportunity to draw these lines, comes about once a decade. And Virginia's next opportunity to draw the lines will be 2021. Hence the name of our organization, One Virginia 2021. We want to get it right by then. Um, But that's driven by the census census. And what it's supposed to be is, hey, a bunch of people moved out of the south side of Virginia and moved up to northern Virginia. And because we have the requirement of one man, one vote, one person, one vote, we have that requirement. We need to do some technocratic adjustments to our lines to keep the districts balanced so that every state senator is representing approximately, you know, one fortieth of Virginia and every Delegate is representing one one hundredth of Virginia, and, that, and so on.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to do, make the kind of technocratic adjustments.
0: However, politicians treat it like Christmas. Yes. it's their chance to to, to get in there and, and and you know manipulate and do all of their trickery to make sure that not only are there technocratic adjustments made, but there are a bunch of political adjustments made along the way.
1: Gotcha. It's like incumbent insurance, huh? <laughs> it's a, yes, it's a, it's very very
0: good insurance for these incumbents. They've gotten really good at doing this. Um, it's, it's been a problem we've had for you know since the founding of our republic, but uh, it has gotten uh, incredibly uh, sophisticated in the last two cycles and, and really out
1: of hand. Yeah, I, I know, and it's not just a Virginia problem, I know, but it kind of starts with Patrick Henry. We always think of give me liberty or give me death, but uh, uh, it seems he was wheeling and dealing uh, between Madison and Moreau. But it isn't just a... Uh, an issue for the Commonwealth of Virginia but since we're talking to Brian Cannon the executive director of One Virginia 2021 I know you did mention that that 2021 is the deadline if you're your target date because of the Virginia legislature why is this or is this more important at the state level more complicated at the state level more malicious if you will at the state level than the federal level or is it something we're dealing with as american voters in at all levels of government
0: well I, I think we're dealing with it at all levels of government i mean i have the number of folks who come up to me and say brian do you work on school redistricting because uh, we've got some problems with our high school zoning i'm like oh my I'm gosh not. no we don't we only focus on congressional districts state house and state senate um I, I i don't know if school redistricting is even more complicated than what i do
2: but mm. um uh
0: but yeah, but this is—I mean, this is a national problem. But it, it based on our you know, federal system of government, the states have to provide the solution. Uh, the, well, first of all, Congress is, is hopelessly deadlocked over anything significant um, going on right now. But but additionally to that, the Baptist state constitution or the, the U.S. Constitution uh, gives the power to the states to run their elections, including drawing these districts. So uh, at one time, Virginia had multi-member districts.
2: Um, um which were
0: used for, for nefarious reasons, though a lot of progressive advocates now uh, say that they could be used for good, and I think that's, that's a, a conversation worth having. Um, but, you know, so every state does their elections a little differently, and even states apportion their electoral college vote differently, see Nebraska and and Maine. And so the states have a lot of latitude in this. So we really get to be the experimenters of what's the best way to do this? And while I wish Virginia were on the cutting edge of of voting rights and reforms in this area to do it better, uh, we at least have the second mover advantage of seeing what the first guys did wrong. Yes. So you can look at Arizona and California and Colorado and Washington and Ohio and New York and all these states and see what's working, right? And so we've got that advantage and we can hopefully learn from it when we do our reform here in Virginia.
1: Does it, uh, Is it still true that the... House of Delegates in in Richmond seems to be what's slowing up the process, uh, not only for redistricting and gerrymandering reform, but also equal rights amendment. It seems things get through the state Senate, but then not the House. It, the House of Delegates in Richmond is that still the issue,
0: or one of them? That is the issue. Yeah, we and, and I think this is a problem. You know, so if you, if you step back, Marshall, and look at it from a forty thousand foot view, there are issues in our in politics that are certainly hard. there are plenty of 50 50 issues mm-hmm. and it makes perfect sense why those kind of 50 50 50 issues don't ever get tackled but then there are these other ones where you look at polling on it and you're like look 70 some percent of virginians want x why the heck is an x happening yeah and, and and you you look at the gridlock we see and you can see it in dc and, and virginia is only 90 miles south and sometimes only a couple years behind in terms of that gridlock that richmond is um and, and we're seeing the same thing. So, yeah, I think it's true for Equal Rights Amendment, which, you know, overwhelming majority of Virginians approved. same is true for redistricting reform. I mean, there are, there are very few people in Virginia that think that the status quo of politicians picking their voters is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people think that we could do better, and yet, the gerrymandering and the incumbent protection racket that is, uh, especially in the House of Delegates uh, in Virginia, is what slows it down. I mean, they're just not representing Virginia, and that's the Fundamental problem with with uh,
1: this system. So a computer is not doesn't seem to be a solution for the problem, and it also is not like it's just. I mean, we I guess we see lately we think it's a, a bigger tool of the Republican Party, but that's not true. All political parties, even the lesser known, have been involved in this gerrymandering. Yes. Well, I, I would say
0: that the, the the Libertarians and the Greens haven't had a chance to, but they've got to be at the table supporting it. The good news is is that they are. There's good folks in the Republican party and the Democratic Party.
1: Draw the district so that the people within the district are more likely to vote for them and therefore they keep getting reelected. Is that it in a nutshell?
0: live in and draw that house out of the district
2: okay. and they do
0: it not just in, not just for general opponent general election opponents and <laughs> heavily democratic or heavily republican areas where the general election is never going to matter where it's all up to the primary they'll draw out other people like so a, a state delegate might draw out a popular board of supervisors member they're on the same party just because they don't want that person to challenge them in a
1: primary. And when you say draw out, you're speaking literally go to the map and redraw the district so you cut out the person or people you don't want.
0: Yes, it's unbelievable that is their 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 ability that the ability they have and the computer uh the computers and the algorithms they have make it an incredibly exact science today. Unlike it was back when Patrick Henry first kinda of stumbled and we tried to do it to uh, James Madison.
1: Yes. Okay, so how would, you know, we hear all these blue ribbon commissions and so forth, but how does a commission solve the problem if politicians, first of all, get to vote whether or select who's on the commission? How are we going to get past that hurdle? Yeah, no, Marshall, I think that's a, that's a great point because. I don't
0: want to just give it to some other commission that's going to be just as bad at doing this as the politicians are. What we've learned, I think a good example is what's going on in Arizona. And the folks in Arizona uh, set up a commission, and they have reform, and we don't. So I don't want to throw too many stones, but let me offer a slight critique of what they've done. Mm -hmm. Their commission... Was is a five-member commission, which I think it's good to have a, a smallish commission because if you get a you know fifty-member commission, then it's just the staff doing the work, it's not the actual commissioners. So a five-member commission, there are two Republicans and two Democrats, and it takes three votes to pass a map. So uh. the fifth person they pick is
2: actually really important. That person ends up being a swing vote. Yes. Um, so they they pick that person through a, a lottery system, kind of a volunteer lottery jury selection type. Approach.
0: Oh. Um, so who's willing to who's willing to do it? Raise your hand. We're gonna put your names in a hat, kind of draw it up. That kind of approach.
2: Uh-huh. The
0: person they picked last time uh, was, I think, on paper a wonderful person. I've never met her, but what a wonderful. She was a uh, a native Arizonian. She went to Harvard Law School. Mm. So she's you know obviously pretty smart. Yes. Came back to Arizona. Her political background was kind of a, a question mark because she grew up in a Republican household. But I think had the, the same thing that a lot of folks do when they get a little older is that whatever their party they, they grew up in, so to speak, quote-unquote, left them, right? So she's probably uh, an independent
2: voter with Republican and Democratic sympathies, right? Then depends on probably which issue. Yes. And so
0: she was the chair of the commission. Now, here's what happened. Her name was Colleen Mathis. Uh-huh. Here's what happened to, to Colleen. She was removed from the chair of that commission by Governor Jan Brewer in Arizona oh, yes. um, for being a sneaky Democrat. Hmm. The Supreme Court of Arizona then reinstated her, saying the governor didn't have the authority to do it, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole Supreme Court case, U.S. Supreme Court case, not just Arizona Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court case, about the legitimacy of a commission at all because hmm. it came about in Arizona through a citizen's initiative. It did not go through, like we have to do in Virginia, through the legislature. So you get the citizens, uh, you know, the, the challenge to that is upheld by the Supreme Court, thank goodness, and a wonderful opinion by Ruth Bader Ginsburg that I would encourage everyone to read, because she goes, she waxes poetically about the dangers of gerrymandering and public protection.
2: Yes. Um, but she has all these court cases, so like, that's enough. i mean, like, good Lord, the
0: woman was following. I'm sure she got paid something, but not enough to go through all that headache. Yes. But on top of that, Marcello, she received
1: multiple death threats. Death threats. Death threats. And and
0: this is all because the structure of the system was such that they only needed three votes. So whether she sided with the two Republicans or whether she sided with the two Democrats, that was the ballgame. Um. So really, everybody else could have just gone home and let Colleen just pick it for herself. And and that's not a good system. No. Right? That's a mm. you know that's a that's a, that's some inherent design flaws. That, I, mean, I don't know who's going to be the next Colleen. I don't know who's going to do that again. That's
2: a, that is a tough job. I wouldn't yes.
0: volunteer for it. And I'm a huge nerd and a big proponent of this stuff. So I, I wouldn't put my family through that. So I don't know how Arizona's going to fix it. But ultimately, that's a, that's a mess of a problem. So I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's some things to learn in there. So one of the things I think that Arizona teaches you is that while small is good, you need to have a supermajority. We don't want to create a swing boat. And so we've got a proposal in there in, in, in the general assembly. It's passed the state senate. It's been carried mm-hmm. by Republicans and Democrats alike in the state senate. They carry it together because yes. this is a. It's going to take all of everybody pitching in to fix this.
1: Sure. Would be a seven-member commission, so a little bit there. Uh-huh. But we're doing we're doing
0: the same two Republicans and two Democrats, but the three remainder would be um, independent. Kind of technocratic
2: actors from the state government, which I'll talk about in a second. But uh-huh. the four, the, the first goal of this is no one on the
1: legislature in the legislature should serve on this commission. Oh, very right? good. And right, and no, no, no lobbyists should either,
2: and that includes myself because I have to register as a lobbyist to do this job. Mm-hmm. Um, no lobbyist
0: should be on that commission, and nobody, no, none of us spouses either. Those two should either, right? All those things are you're too conflicted to draw it well. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority and minority party in the in the Senate and the House would both get one appointee. So basically you're going to get two Republicans and two Democrats. But what that does is that equalizes the playing ground. Right now what you're seeing is a a mad rush towards the end of the decade of -of out-of-state money, big, dirty, soft money, Mm -hmm. all that stuff flooding into states that are on the edge that they think they could tip it, whether it's the state Senate or the state House, for their party. Project Red Map was a brilliant example of that yes. by the Republicans in 2010. Uh, the Democrats are now gearing up to do it with uh, the NDRC, the National Democratic Redistricting Corps. I mean, It's just an arms race that, uh, of out-of-state money that, that makes the basically winner-take-all decennial elections uh, for, for you know, that'll be up for the for, for redistricting, mm-hmm. uh, makes it a, a winner-take-all system. And so that's a problem. And so having that two Republicans and two Democratic appointees would negate that arms race. I'm sure there will be partisans. And like Madison said, I don't think you can keep the party politics out of everything. You have to bring it in, in the appropriate structures. And so this would be that. But if we just did a, if we did the same mistake that Arizona did and just required four votes out of seven Uh to pass it, you could have collusion. You could have the two Republicans team up with the two Democrats. Yes. Which is basically what happened to us in twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. Right? That was we had Republicans control the House and Democrats control the Senate and they agreed to gerrymander their own chambers and pass the other chambers gerrymander without, you know, molesting it through through the process and, oh and we got a bipartisan gerrymander. So that mm-hmm. would be a mistake. So we our commission would require five votes out of seven. The three other actors on this commission would be the three people that work in our state government
2: that have technocratic jobs. So it would be the auditor of public accounts, right? So a CPA. It would be the
0: state's inspector general, uh, and then it would be the executive director of the state bar of Virginia.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: these three people are are you don't get the job if you're a party hack.
2: Gotcha. Uh,
0: and if it would be a mistake if the governor appointed all these people, right? Like that would yes. be you know yes. giving the, the tip to the governor. So that's not the case either. The governor only appoints the state's inspector general, but that person has to be confirmed by the General Assembly. The auditor is is, is a creature completely of the General Assembly, appointed by and confirmed by the General Assembly. And then the state's inspector general actually has nothing to do with either – the executive director of the state bar has nothing to do with either of the two. There's a national search done by the state bar executive committee, and then the uh, Supreme Court of Virginia approves that person. So it's got some nice balance there. Of that and so you need five votes, so you need mm-hmm. at least one of those technocrats that kind of come on board and, and and support any map drawn, which I think is good. Yes. And then the last thing is, if I'm even wrong, Marcello, about these three independent people being independent, let's say that Governor mccullough or somebody was sneaky enough to make them all Democrats, like supercell cell Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be a problem too. It's not. Well, I don't think it's likely, but I don't want that to be the case either. Okay. Yes. The last check and I know this is a long answer, but these are, you know, I do, I do think that it's a problem if you set up a bad commission. So here's the final check. Yes. If you give the two Republicans or two Democrats, while they don't have enough power on their own to pass a map, they can stop the train. They can veto a map. So you could have five, but you can imagine a world where the two Democrats team up with the three independents, mm. and that's your five votes. Mm-hmm. Both the two Republicans are both voting no, they can stop the train. Um, that slows progress down a lot, right? That doesn't yes. doesn't speed up. It could really gum up the works. But we have the same scenario where if the governor and the general assembly don't agree today under the status quo, um, the same the result would be the same. It would go to the courts to decide, and yeah. I, I think a lot of folks don't want that to be the case, even, and the courts don't want that to be the case. Um, but there are there are backstops in this, and so I think you get a a good process that doesn't allow a party to control it. Uh-huh. But, doesn't, but also it gives them uh, kind of a minority party veto in that case if, if something goes uh, sideways on this and, and it's a bad amount. But the other benefits you get of a commission is you get it out of the hands of the legislature
2: yes. who are the most self-interested people to do it. But they're also the people that are able to do it in a smoky back room. Exactly. So they have legislative
0: privilege. So if you put it into a, a, a commission like this or any commission it do I think it's not as well structured as what I just laid out. Um, it becomes a uh, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act uh, requests, so they can't hide what they're doing. And I think a little bit of sunlight will go a long way in this process.
1: Well, that was a, an incredibly comprehensive and helpful answer, Brian. We're going to take a break. This is a, a complicated issue in the sense that the the people involved in the past— looking for a solution have made it a lot more complicated than it needed to be. But it is but it is comprehensive, and we know, most of us know the, the, what's the right thing to do. It's just getting the people and some sort of format, some formula, as Brian has been discussing, that makes this possible. This reform is so necessary, because without it, we're not really a democratic republic, let's face it. With something else, but we're not, not what we intended to be. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about how gerrymandering affects minority com- communities and other specialized, if you will, or specific communities. But we're also going to talk about how One Virginia 2021 uses on-camera humor to educate us and to get us involved. You're going to love it. Stay with me. I mean, my guest, Brian Cannon, the executive director of One Virginia 2021, will be right back. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. One of the producers of today's film told us, As producers, we cannot control the magic. We simply put into place the elements where magic could happen and pray that it does. In the station agent, their prayers were answered. This story is as simple as it is universal. It is a story of the basic human need to connect with community. At the outset, we meet Peter Dinklage as Finbar McBride, a dwarf whose way of dealing with the cruelties of the world is to simply tune them out. Patricia Clarkson enters our story as Olivia, hiding from, rather than confronting, the death of her son. It takes an unlikely hot dog vendor to rebel against this isolation, as he seeks the interaction he needs to survive. He simply cannot accept that there may be people who choose solitude over his ebullient presence. His efforts to form this misfit trio into a mutually supportive society make for great laughs. The Station Agent is a poignant and richly told comedy. We come to care deeply for this community, and it's painful when we are torn from them by the roll of the credits. That is when we realize that we have experienced greatness. Independent film, where the real stories are told, welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is the executive director of one for january twenty twenty one brian cannon we've been talking about the importance in connecting the dots in an extremely helpful and comprehensive way, connecting the dots between the the senses that is taken every ten years gerrymandering and political redistricting of uh, political districts, which can be drawn, uh, we've we've discovered in any kind of shapes, from salamanders to anything else, to accommodate primarily the incumbent, and all political parties have been uh, party to this. So forgive the pun. So so Brian, I I took us out last time, we're not limited to this idea, but I'd like to talk a little about how gerrymandering and political redistricting is unfairly impacting on minority communities, including not only racial minorities, but women. Uh, I mean, any group, I think, if I'm correct, can be selected and unselected through the manipulation of of, of voting districts. And then we'll talk about how we can do all of this with a sense of humor. So you
0: (laughs) Sure I, I You know th- this is one of those issues that You know minority communities On voting rights in general Let alone just gerrymandering yes. Voting rights in general have always had an uphill battle to think, I mean it's preposterous to think that's the case But it completely is true Of our history And the the interesting And the, one of the, the you know biggest moments In the voting rights struggle Was the Voting Rights Act uh, Of 64 And the Voting Rights Act uh, as it really was originally intended was meant to remedy the idea that when they were drawing districts previously, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, the, the, the powers that be, mostly the Democrats at this point, would would carve up these minority communities. Yes. Um, in the South, it was African Americans, Latinos in Texas, that kind of thing. Um, they would carve up these minority communities in ways that they would be fractured so much. The term is called cracking. Uh, they'd be fractured so much that they would only represent a small part of a district, mm-hmm. right? So not enough to have their voice really genuinely heard. Whereas, if you looked at it objectively, you could see a scenario where if you put all those fractured pieces together, yes. that could actually be a district, and they would actually have a voice in their in their process. Which is, you know, to to do it based on races, it, it was certainly you know uh, racial discrimination, all that. But but I mean, that's the whole premise of what Madison the genius of the system was. Okay? Yes. We would have our communities get together to elect their representatives. And therefore the, the the represent the House of Representatives, literally the House of Representatives Congress,
2: would be made up of all of what I like to call our political crazy. Right? Exactly. Far right, far left, radical, middle, whatever you want to say it rural, urban,
0: all of that divide and and, and all the different parts. And so gerrymandering these districts to fracture or crack these minority communities was a perversion of
2: that. So the voting
0: rights act passed and said, basically, if you have a compact and cohesive enough minority community, that you have to keep them together so that they have an opportunity, and this is the legal phrase, the the opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice. Mm, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they have to elect a candidate from their minority group, right? I'm a a white guy. They They could, in theory, elect me, but as long as that's the choice of that community, that's totally fine and and by the way when it comes to what minority means in this case the the voting rights act is pretty clear it's racial ethnic or language
1: yes yes
0: so you could have hasidic Hasidic jews
2: in brooklyn Mm -hmm. um or
0: or latinos out in, in southern texas but mostly in virginia we're talking about african americans even though there's an argument uh i think to be made last decade about a latino house of uh house of representatives uh, influence district in Northern Virginia that I only assume has, has grown in the last in the in the past decade
2: mm-hmm. or in, the decade we're in now. So, you know that's the idea.
0: What happened with the Voting Rights Act, however, is that politicians in power have used it as an excuse to do further gerrymandering.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you have um, you know elected politicians, where be they black Democrats who want a safer seat, or Republicans, most cases white Republicans, who want fewer Democrats in their district or black folks in their district because the correlation is incredibly high. And so what you have is this kind of collusion between oftentimes just both parties and incumbents to pack as many black voters into as few districts as possible. Now, while that makes it safer for the black representatives presently there, what you end up is a situation like we have now where only 12.5 percent of our legislature – African American, mm-hmm. and that's crazy considering
2: 20% of our state is African American. Yes, and and maybe there's a you know there's some sort of you know there, there there's a clustering there's a residential sorting that happens or you have something like that, but that's a pretty big gap between yes.
0: 20% and 12.5, and I think that's a real, um, real statement about the power of gerrymandering. And now we're not doing the cracking that we talked about earlier. Now we're doing what's called packing.
2: Mm. They're packing in black voters in these districts. So Black politicians are winning with
0: you know 90 percent of the vote. No challenger. No nothing. Basically, it's disenfranchising those folks as well, the voters in there as well. Because if you spread it out a little bit, they would. They might not be in a, a majority in every district, but they would have influence over yes. other politicians. So it, other politicians would have to listen to that community's concerns. Whereas right now they're like, I don't have black people in my district.
1: Well, you know, now that's a good point, and I'd like to hammer that home a little more, if you will. To be clear, one might think on the surface that if you put together, you drew a district so that it was predominantly, overwhelmingly predominantly uh, African-Americans or Latinos, well, they would get their person elected. But they wouldn't really have. But they would have one person that they could depend on. But they wouldn't have a range of people uh, because they uh, because they're not spread out through several districts. They wouldn't have an influence on other elected uh, officials. I know I'm putting that. Uh-huh. I'm, uh, I'm stumbling through that, but but uh, to Good, a hit that's the.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, so tell us, because um, I think that's a that's a point that I haven't always considered. That's part of what One Virginia 2021 is trying to change as well, yes? It isn't just don't draw the district so you can get a vote, but to draw the district so that all Americans are represented as much as possible throughout the districts. Is that fair?
0: Exactly. Okay. I think that's exactly right. And I would say on top of that, these are tough questions. These aren't easy questions to answer. Where does the Latino community in Lorton, Virginia... Where, where do they identify themselves as a community, and maybe there's some divisions in that community because not all Latinos are alike. Right?
2: Yes, yes. Maybe there's some divisions in that community that
0: they would be able to represent and and say that, hey, look, we're different in this way. You know, whatever. Here's what I know. Mm. The least qualified person to do that, the judgment call, is mm. the person seeking re-election yes. in that district. Yes.
2: Right. And then yes. there, anybody else could listen to those concerns and, and make a judgment call
0: better than the self-interested politicians we have. But I also think this has – this racial gerrymandering and, and packing in minority voters has a detrimental effect on statewide candidates. I'm mm. can have a second to
2: talk about that. Yes.
0: Um, in Virginia, we have five statewide elected offices. Mm. We have two Senate seats. We have governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. Yes. We've elected, and with, it given any given Sunday, given Virginia's 20% African American, you would think one of those office holders would
2: be black. Mm-hmm.
0: Instead, the last time we elected an African American statewide, I was in elementary school. We did it twice with Doug Wilder, 85 oh, wow. and 89. Wow. A pretty big gap for Virginia to have, and I think the what happens in, in these um, majority minority districts is you hack African-American voters so much into that is that the legislator who represents that district
2: Mm -hmm. never
0: has to get in what i call kind of fighting shape to run statewide Mm. right they don't they don't have to raise money and they don't have to campaign that hard Mm. they get to focus on policy and legislature stuff like that which is great but they don't they don't do the stuff that the the training so to speak that it takes you to make that Jump to be a statewide candidate. There have been a couple of statewide candidates, and they've gotten clobbered. Uh, um, and it's you know, and I think that's a, at least some degree a part of, of the system there. I mean, you know, for example, when when everybody thought this time last year that Hillary Clinton was going to win, yes. it was a big debate. As to when Tim Kaine would would vacate his Senate seat to become Vice President, that who was going to replace who the Governor called for get an appointment to replace that who should he do? And the natural thing is people say, well the longest serving Democrat in the uh, in the in the caucus is Bobby Scott, you know if he's right there, we're willing to do it. And then everybody started saying, well you know Bobby Scott, he might not be able to raise twenty million dollars, mm. he'd have to run the following year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Why would Bobby Scott have ever had to raise $20 million? What would he have done in the third congressional district where he never has enough? If he had raised $20 million, that would have been $20 million wasted. So it's a it's kind of a, a cyclical problem
2: when it's like, oh, well, he can't raise money. Well, he's never had to raise money. And I yes. don't know whether he could or not, but he was in a district that was so protected because they
0: packed basically every black voter they could find along the James River into the third congressional district. Now, he didn't have to raise the money. So when there was an opportunity to say, oh, maybe he could do it statewide – people criticized and said, well, he, he won't be able to raise the money, he's never going to be able to do it
1: statewide, and he had a chance. Wow. You know, I am so glad you're on the show, because uh, even though this is an issue for me as well, you, you're giving us POV that comes from a different angle, if, if that makes sense. The things we haven't quite realized, the, the rippling effect that this has, that sort of It seems like you're awarding people with representation when what you're really doing is say, take the smaller carrot, but you're not going this far and no further. Wow. You are an organization that's committed to educating as well as advocacy. But in what ways are you educating in addition to advocating? And and again, I know you mentioned it, but why is 2021 so important, the year 2021, to what One Virginia is doing? That's our deadline, I mean, We,
0: we will – Virginia will get the census data in probably late February, assuming the census is working efficiently, which is, might be a bit of an assumption at this point. Mm-hmm. But we'll get that census data
2: in early 2021, mm-hmm. and we'll be under a charge to
0: redistrict. And our goal is to have a better process in place. And there's a number of ways to do it better, almost because you can't do it any worse mm-hmm. uh, than to let the politicians pick their voters and, and do this deal in a smoky back room to protect incumbents. We've got an opportunity to do that, and we've got you know another we've got 15 months until the first crack at amending the Constitution will happen again in yes. January of 2019. So our goal is to build up support in every House of Delegates district around Virginia, which also then will correlate with getting the state senators on board, even though the state Senate, Republican and Democratic leadership um, uh, has been shown on this issue in the state Senate, uh, but but to build up that support everywhere around Virginia, so this is a true movement
2: owned by the people. And when I took over as executive director in January
0: of 2015, which feels like a light light years ago, Mm. uh, it was about 30. Some months ago, we had had, you know three thousand, four thousand supporters, right? Which is great for a nerdy little issue like this. Mm -hmm. We now have over 61,000 supporters around Virginia. People who signed our petition online and told their delegate and their senator and us that they care about redistricting reform and and want to improve the process. Uh, And so, but one of the things I looked at when I first became executive director was our demographics were a little skewed to the boomer generation. Uh We were missing the young folks. And, uh, And I think, you know, some of that is just folks who are retired have a luxury to engage in politics that you know, working parents and, and whatever don't have it have a, at all, but a little bit of it was our was our messaging, and so mm-hmm. we created this
2: fictional character, delegate gerrymandering, <laughs> yes. kind of yes. in a Stephen Colbert style, um, to address that issue, and it has worked wonderfully, and yes. it's been a great way to poke fun at the process because humor has a way of cutting to the quick. Oh yes,
0: and. Uh, and, and we've really enjoyed that character. And there's some some creative folks here in Richmond that helped us pull that all
1: together. Well, tell us where we can see gerrymandering uh, running for office, a la Stephen Colbert. Uh, your Facebook page, I know I've seen the video, and I'll tell you, it, it's like you say, education advocacy all can be helped. With humor because it cuts right through and makes us laugh, but then it makes us think about it. And then we want to talk about exactly where we can sign this petition. But tell us a bit about the video and where we can find it on Facebook.
0: Yeah, so Facebook is probably our best tool for advocacy. We post a lot of action alerts there during the General Assembly. We have a Twitter account, but honestly, when you type in the word gerrymandering, it takes up so much of your 140 characters, yes. it's not that effective to use Twitter yeah. for us. So Facebook. <laughs> We we have several videos up on Facebook, mm-hmm. but also our YouTube page has. Um, if, if just if you Google one Virginia twenty twenty one in YouTube, you'll find our page. And we have both the Jerry videos up, plus a couple other creative videos. We have a little whiteboard video that helps break it down, uh, and then we have what's a really special uh, tool in our, our arsenal here: uh, a documentary that WCVE
2: yes. here
0: in, in Richmond, produced and in Charlottesville, uh, produced for this issue, and it does a brilliant job of showing this is a bipartisan problem. There are bipartisan people looking to support this, Um, and it kind of leaves us with the question of, I hope everybody's like, okay, now what? Um, And we can fill in that gap. So we show that that documentary, 56-minute one that's on our YouTube page. We show that all around the state, probably four, four times a week, and have conversations with communities about it, whether it's a civic association, a rotary club progressive or a conservative organization, whatever it is, I mean, folks are interested in this. I mean, people are, are waking up to
2: this. Which, yes.
0: you know, it doesn't take a lot of, of too long to scratch the surface on when you hear Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders both say the system is rigged. Yes. You know, maybe, maybe not in the way they said, but you scratch a little bit and you'll quickly get to gerrymandering
2: yes so, uh, anybody can find it find our, our page our web
0: our youtube page and there but uh, facebook is the main tool for that and we hope folks will engage us on that as well but and share jerry i just think it's the, the actor did a wonderful job of this and the production i thought was, was spectacular and i know nothing about either of those two things i just put it in creative competent hands and, and they did it um but i think it's a good icebreaker for for folks to have
1: that conversation on their in their social media bubble, yes. right We're all Exactly, and 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 by all means share it. And it's one Virginia twenty twenty one with the word one spelled out O N E Virginia spelled out twenty twenty one. The YouTube account I presume is is uh, simply under that one Virginia twenty twenty one. Yes. Exactly. And, that's, the, that's the way to do it. The and, Twitter handle is a little shorter. We we, we did one
2: as the number and V A two zero two one
1: to, mm-hmm. to, to save space and characters. If sure. You and i i'd like to add my vote i i, I loved of course the the humorous uh, gerrymandering uh candidate Jerry uh but uh I, also the documentary to which you refer it's almost an hour long incredibly well done and again when you know you say almost an hour long oh my god we get, but cuz americans are always in a hurry but it is uh, an hour that is animated uh, as well as educational uh, and it does it it gives you It shows you what we need to be paying attention to if truly we wish to protect our democratic republic. So um, I know we've covered a lot in a short amount of time. It has been amazingly important. What else can we add? Uh, What final word from Brian Cannon? Also, where do we go to sign the petition? Tell us a little bit about the petition.
0: Sure. Uh, So uh, here's, here's what the petition is our main... Tool in our arsenal. We have a system online that, if you sign the petition, you will. It'll. And you you have to put in your email address and, and uh, trust me, we don't spam. We don't have. We don't trade. I don't know. I don't even know who to sell your email to. <laughs> um, we've got a three-person staff that so we're too small to bother even do the kind of asking you for three dollars every day. We don't do mm. that type of thing either. Um, but what you do is you put your email in there and and your address, and it will automatically find who your delegate and senator is because otherwise. Mm. Pretty hard to do because of Gerrymandering. Yes. Um, and it will send an email. The petition will send an email to both your delegate and senator, and to us, telling uh, everybody that you believe we need redistricting reform in Virginia.
2: Wow. It's a it's a powerful statement to everybody that so we made it as simple as possible. And then what we'll do is because we know
0: who your senator and delegate are, if there if there's a vote that they're going to take, we're going to let you know about it.
2: Oh. So if mm-hmm. you find a
0: petition at onevirginia2021.org forward slash petition. We make it as simple as possible. And on top of that, the other way, we do a little bit of shoe leather here because we get out and about on election day, we man voting precincts all over the Commonwealth. We had 550 people do it last June, and we got 10,000 new petition signers that day. It was spectacular. I mean, it's a really great
2: day. Wow. Like you're catching people at the at the height of their civic. I give a crap, right? You're yes. Them when they're voting <laughs> and, you're, and, and we're saying, hey, you know, don't don't. We don't care who you vote for
0: here. Go in and do your civic duty on the back end. Come and talk to us about gerrymandering. Yes. And it's just a great way to engage your citizens. We're we're accepting volunteers for that. If folks want to volunteer, um, they can go to one onevirginia 2021org polls P-O-L-L-S, mm-hmm. Or or just send us an email uh, and you can do it. You can help us get you know, the average volunteer ends up getting, you know, 20-some signatures. Uh, so it's a great uh, a great way to get involved.
1: And that email address is? Uh, director at 1virginia2021.org.
0: You can find it at the bottom of the website. or, uh, or just, It's a fairly easy one. You can also do info at it all. It gets goes to the
1: same place. Fantastic. All right, we have been talking to and thankfully listening to brian cannon the executive director of one virginia 2021 and we have been talking about the necessity for redistricting fairly for all voters all american citizens or we get what we've been told by both trump and bernie sanders the system is rigged so we need to unrig it and uh, it has been a tremendous uh, opportunity to get so much information that can help us do that from Brian Cannon, our guest today, the executive director. Thank you, Brian, so much for being on the show. We wish you and One Virginia 2021 all the best, okay? Thank you very much so Marshall. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Harvey Weinstein of Miramax Films was apparently not that excited about The Apostle. Still, there is value in courting a proven Hollywood star. So when Robert Duvall brought his film to Sundance, Harvey bid on it. Heck, if he didn't make his money back, at least Bobby would owe him one. Charismatic preacher Sonny Duvall has always had a close relationship with God and conversed with him regularly. But he's also a man of heated blood, and when it boils over, he's in serious trouble, both spiritually and with the law. On the run, Sonny seeks redemption in the only way he knows, fervently saving souls, first on Backwoods Radio and then by breathing life into a dead rural church. Though a film with fervent religious belief at its core, what is most remarkable about The Apostle is its humanistic truth. No contrived religious manipulation here. With its surprising power of subtle moments, it fills us with a renewed love of film. Life is depicted in intricate depth, a worthy accomplishment by Duval, its writer, producer, director, financier, and star. He was clearly possessed by an overwhelming passion And it birthed a towering and lasting model of indie filmmaking. The Apostle. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Be a global citizen. Take the knee. The honest and true patriot is not a nationalist America-first supremacist stealing taxpayer dollars for personal convenience, power, or profit. True patriotism is being the living and breathing embodiment of the best of what our national anthem, American flag, and Statue of Liberty represent. The patriot's finest hour and greatest expression is the potential of Let Freedom Ring not just hailed to the symbols, but individually sharing and collectively being the actuality of a global golden rule's Good Samaritans. Those who can't distinguish Nazis, the Ku Klux Klan, or a Wall Street-purchased Russian-infiltrated administration from non-violent expressions of our First Amendment rights are cowards mocking the home of the brave. Despite the freedom afforded a thieving Treasury Secretary to freely express the expression of freedom of speech must be barred from sports events, while supremely blessed corporatism puppets red map America and gerrymander our electoral process, non-violent, silent kneeling in protest of anything in America is guaranteed by to petition the government for a redress of grievances." our bill of rights may be exceptionalism created exclusively by america's founding fathers but its guarantees are not limited within american borders despite weapons of mass destruction bush cheney covertly implanting protest zones to fence in free speech Having a president who fails to comprehend the legal responsibilities of his oath of office to preserve, protect, and defend our constitutional freedoms, guaranteed any and everywhere in America, is as much a definition of anti-American as Russian hacking. Nonetheless, freedom of speech is not carte blanche protection for bully pulpit attacks, white supremacists, hate speech, spitting on nationalist blogger Jason Kessler, advocating vehicular murder, tiki torch parades proclaiming Jews will not replace us, beating clergy with pool cues sharpened into spears, or even granting collectivism's international money changers a Citizens United human equivalency. In a world of followers mesmerized by political TV ads and Fox News, Ted Cruz and Tom Price, smartphones and social media, goose-stepping to Kim Jong-un and genuflecting to Donald Trump, prioritizing human equality with justice for all requires the enormous courage to petition for a viable solution for survival of the planet by turning the other cheek. When I was a child, I resented TV sports ignoring the TV guide schedule and preempting scheduled movies as if movies were second-class entertainment. But when I became a man, Ken Burns' documentaries enlightened me. Indeed, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in an executive travel ban philosophy. Continually inspired by Dave, the West Wing, and the American President, I'm an Italian-American who loves all Americans, and when it's recognizable, weep during the national anthem, both in appreciation for what it represents, and somewhat leery of how entrenched our school days, Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag has indoctrinated adults with unadulterated flag-waving. Beware global empires like persian roman and ottoman began erosion process when after two hundred fifty years the populace allowed economic imbalance wars for wealth and expansionism to tip imperial scales toward decline and fall The United States of America, in its 241st year, largely deserting United in favor of dysfunctional, aided and abetted by K and Wall Streets, has replaced Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with an abnormal executive, who is a colossal threat to, and forever in peace may you wave is humankind willing to gather at the rivers of racism sexism climate or nuclear extinction because bully twins kim and don have wrested the global pulpit from wisdom maturity civility and rational behavior an American president denying Russian cyber attacks on our 2016 elections, Putin's attacks on Morgan Freeman and Rob Reiner's video plea for a commission to investigate same, and, in concert with corporate media and like-minded politicians, all but relegating American life in Puerto Rico to a post-Maria footnote is far more damaging to American security and symbolism than bending a knee. Get that S.O.B. out of here is repugnant to America and American ideals. But a bent knee or two for the right of the people peacefully to assemble, to snatch peace on earth from the jaws of the world's demagogue duo, is the best symbol of what has always been great about the United States of America. Thank you. And join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.